Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. It is great to have you with us alongside Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram, and the NCAA tournament brackets are out. And, Chris, that means uh, we'll have ourselves a tournament uh, starting here in just a day or two. Yeah, man, I'm so pumped. Uh, I just am really excited. Of course, obviously, two years ago, the tournament was canceled. Last year, it was in one city. This year, it's it's back to, to sites and in all my career, and, and granted, I focused pretty early on on two sports, golf, but mostly college basketball. But in all my career, the most fun thing that I've ever done, and this includes, you know, World Series, major championships in golf, all kinds of stuff, NASCAR stuff. The most fun and excitement I've ever had is covering the NCAA tournament. And it's just, you know, what? <laughs> The college game is becoming more and more like pros every day, I guess, with the transfer rule and uh, the NIL. But I still like to think, you know, it's just like a bunch of hungry kids uh, from Hickory, Indiana, that just <laughs> that are just out there to try to beat the odds and win it all, you know? Yeah, and uh, I, I like that part of it, too. And I, I've been to the NCAA tournament many times and, and called a few games and have been fortunate enough there. But it, it's one of my favorite things, too. And in and, and a lot of ways, the, the first week to me is the most fun. That Thursday and Friday where you just watch games, it, central time from about 11 in the morning until about 11 at night, it's, it's just one of the best things there ever was. Uh, I, I'll give you the uh, the top four siege in e- each of the brackets. In the West, it's Gonzaga, it's Duke, it's Texas Tech, and Arkansas. In the East, Baylor, the number one seed, followed by Kentucky, Purdue, and UCLA. In the South, it's Arizona, Villanova, Tennessee, and Illinois, one through four. And in the Midwest, Kansas, the top seed, Auburn, number two, Wisconsin, and Providence. So uh, you you can debate where these teams all maybe should be placed, some higher, some lower, but uh, that's how they were put in the bracket. Uh, I have my final four picks. I, I might reveal those toward the uh, the end of our show here. But, you know, <laughs> w- when you look at the conversation, so much of it has been around a couple of the SEC teams, actually. Uh, one question, why did Tennessee get a number three seed, especially based on winning the SEC tournament? And uh, when you look at some of the metrics. And also, why didn't Texas A&M make the field after they made a late charge and, and went on a great win streak? Actually, after they played here in Nashville against Vanderbilt, they won some dramatic games uh, in, in Tampa. They played great against Arkansas, came up short against Tennessee, but Texas A&M really played well during their stretch down there. But th- to me, those are two really big questions uh, when you look at this tournament, especially Tennessee and, and the seed that they received. Yeah, I saw a, a tweet from our friend and friend of the show, Mike DeCourcy, and he said that a lot of people got carried away by thinking that three or four days in a conference tournament could supersede, you know, a, a resume that prior to that probably wasn't going to be good enough. And you and I had remarked about this, that Texas A&M showed up on Joe's radar just last week. But still, I, I would have liked to see them get in the dance if, if for no other reason than to hear Buzz Williams – wax philosophic about the matrix <laughs> he was he was telling the the sec network guys about the red pill and the blue pill i gotta and, be honest uh, he kind of lost me on some of that stuff i wasn't real sure oh, what he yeah. was talking about pat bradley shook his head like yeah i've seen the matrix and then at the end of the conversation he says coach i gotta confess i i've never seen the matrix <laughs> the shooter hasn't seen the matrix and i'm like dude what is wrong with you you haven't seen the matrix but yeah, uh, Buzz is Buzz occupies his own space in his own galaxy, which I think is great. 
you know, and he was talking about that red pill, blue pill stuff. And I'm like, man, how can you not pull for this dude? <laughs> he's so chill and he's like Morpheus. And uh, so I, I would have liked to have seen them. And I thought they played well enough. I mean, you take out Auburn and Arkansas and then Tennessee not getting it too. If you compare the metrics straight up with Duke, there's no comparison. But I just think the NCAA committee does their work. They're in Indianapolis all week. They put it together, and they pray to God that a domino doesn't fall somewhere and mess up everything they've done. Right. Because, as you know, and, and I don't know all these, uh, our buddy Joe, Joey Brackets does, but there's certain you know, restrictions. They, they can't have conference teams meeting before the Sweet 16 and teams that played together out of conference in the regular season. They don't want to play early on. And so there's so many different things like that, uh, that it's just hard. I, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, trying to pick up a, a box of, of match sticks after you've dropped them on the floor, you know, unless you're the rain man, you can count them all. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think that's part of it. Cause if you just go by the metrics, but here's my deal. If you're, if you're not going to go by the metrics, why have the freaking metrics? You know what I mean? Yeah. I just I, I just don't understand it. I, I really don't. I, Tennessee has a heck of a resume. And I, I, I mean, I see Tennessee a lot. And, and, you know, I know the coaching staff. And I, when I write stuff and say stuff, I try not to let any of that, like overexposure of a certain program, cloud my judgment. But I think Tennessee is, is a good, good team. And I think they're – in fact, I know they're playing the best defense per Ken Palm of, of, of uh, Rick Barnes' seven-year career there. They're just locking people down, and that gives you a chance. I mean, if you look at that Kentucky game on Saturday in the SEC semis, they just lock Kentucky down, and that's pretty hard to do. Well, Kellen Grady's in a little bit of a shooting slump, but, yeah, I, I just think that if you're not going to go by the metrics, don't, don't have them. Or, or do a better job explaining them. Well, Chris, as we have this conversation about Tennessee and Texas A&M, it also brings another question up. Do power conference tournaments re- really matter? And should the SEC and the others move their championship games to Saturday? And this isn't necessarily the first year something like this has been discussed. To me, I, I think that would be a good idea. Now, I know you make it a little tighter because you're going to have to play, in the SEC's case, you'd have to move everything up a day and play that first round of games on Tuesday but if you can get it done on Saturday and maybe it makes a little bit of difference, maybe it doesn't as far as the committee goes, then maybe it's worth doing. I think so. I mean, Kentucky coach John Calipari has said that for years. He thinks the SEC should switch its final to Saturday. Uh, I, I think a lot of the work is done by then, and it would just it would take a major, major event for the SEC to or the NCAA to budge off you know, some of their work, but like, you know, I, I just, like I said before, I, I just don't understand why you've got certain metrics and you can, you can look at these teams side by side, which they do on their computers. And it's plainly apparent uh, by these metrics, which teams uh, are better. And if you ultimately turn away from those metrics and use the eye test or, or use politics or use whatever and, and, and don't see it accordingly, then I'd, 
I don't know why you have them. I really yeah. don't. The tournament begins with the first four in Dayton on Tuesday. You'll have 16s, Texas Southern against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Uh, the 12 seeds, Wyoming, will play Indiana. Then on Wednesday, the 16s, Wright State against Bryant. And the 11 seeds, Rutgers versus Notre Dame. The first game on Thursday, it'll be Colorado State against Michigan and Indianapolis. It'll be a 6-11 matchup. The winner will play the Tennessee Longwood winner. Uh, Chris, I jotted down some potential double-digit seed winners that uh, I think could could come through. Michigan against Colorado State. I think the winner of Wyoming and Indiana against St. Mary's could uh, get the job done there. I wonder how San Francisco will play against Murray. I, I stay up late and watch a, a lot of these games now that I don't have to get up Me in the too. middle of the night to go to work. So uh, I, I've seen San Francisco and some of the other teams from that league. On Friday, uh, th- this is one I, I'm, I'm going ahead and writing down in ink as far as a pick. I think Loyola Chicago will beat Ohio State. Uh, Virginia Tech played so well in the ACC tournament. They play Texas. I wouldn't be shocked if the Hokies got it done there. And I really like Iowa State against LSU. I wonder what kind of mental state LSU is going to be in after Will Wade got fired the other day uh, facing an 11-seed Iowa State that uh, a lot of the time in Big 12 has had a good season. So to me, those are ones to watch out for. Now, none of those are really earth-shaking upsets. You're not talking about a 15 over a 2 or a 16 over a 1 like we've seen only once. But I could see those double-digit seed winners uh, making some noise in this tournament uh, when we get underway on Thursday and Friday. Dude, we've been working together too long. I agree with you on all those, and I've got one more to add. Okay. I think South Dakota State, a 13 over a four-seed Providence in the Midwest. Uh, South Dakota State leads the nation in three-point shooting. You don't want to get into a run-and-gun with them. Providence is a four-seed, had a good year, but if you look at Ken Palm's luck metric, where they won you know, all these overtime games – I think they won three overtime games and one triple overtime game. Uh, I don't know. I, I could see that one going South Dakota State's way. All right. So the Jack Jackrabbits. Jackrabbits over the Flyers. All right. Well, yeah. right, the, the Jackrabbits over the Friars, I should say. And uh, yes, see if that one comes home for you. Coaching changes. Let's move on here. A lot has happened in the Southeastern Conference over the last few days. I was down at the tournament in Tampa, and you'd hear whispers about some of these moves. Uh, just today, Frank Martin was let go at South Carolina. On Sunday, you had the surprising move of Mike White going from Florida to Georgia. On Saturday, you had Will Wade's firing uh, from LSU. Conzo Martin gone last week at Missouri. So jobs opening, one or two being filled. But, man, there is a lot going on in that league. I mean, you, you think about changes in football over the years uh, sometimes that, that happen. I think basketball is giving it a run for its money right now. Well, according to the SEC's marketing uh, uh, push, it, it apparently just means more. <laughs> it means, uh, means more coaching changes right now. It, 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 basketball means more than it used to. And uh, I think coaches like, you know, John Calipari, Rick Barnes, people like that have, have made it, Bruce Pearl, have made it pretty tough for those teams. And somebody's got to finish near the bottom. Uh, I have also heard that uh, – Rumors that Ben Holland might retire after the NIT down in Mississippi State. I had heard rumors that Mike White might return to his alma mater at Ole Miss, which means our buddy and friend of the show, Kermit Davis, wouldn't be there. Uh, with all the injuries they had in Oxford this year, I, I couldn't have believed that. Uh, but my point is, 
if you're not winning and winning big, and if, if you're not putting fans in the seats, yeah, like Tennessee, I mean, people were underwhelmed when Rick Barnes got hired seven years ago, and they had been used to the the showman and the great X and O guy Bruce Pearl, but they thought maybe Rick was taking the golden parachute from Texas and maybe just coming to retire. No, uh, he competes. And he's 67 years old, and he's a bigger competitor now than when he was 27. That ain't going to change. And their last three games up there in Knoxville, they sold out, which had never happened, 21,500. And, you know, the rest of the ADs around the league see that, and they're like, geez, why can't we do that? You know, and not everybody can do it. I I think Tennessee has always been uh, an underrated basketball school. Uh, and it's come into more focus as their football program has struggled the last decade or so uh, to gain relevance again. But, yeah, it's an arms race in the SEC, and you know this better than I do because you call a lot of non-revenue sports for the SEC network, you know, soccer. And and, and uh, I wouldn't call baseball non-revenue anymore, but, uh, you know, track, tennis, golf, the league is good in everything. Yeah, sure and is. And you just got to set that standard in basketball. And I, I think Mike White probably made a, a smarter move than some people think. You'd look at it and say it was a sublateral move. But I think Georgia has always been a sleeping giant. If you could get the best players in the state to stay yeah. around, that'll be his task for longevity there. Uh, Frank Martin, I hate to see him go. I really liked him. Uh, I think the last couple of years, COVID really messed with him. He had long COVID and caught it twice. And I don't know, I just sapped some of his energy, it, it seemed like to me. Uh, Conzo Martin, good guy. But if you look at his record, uh, not very good in the SEC, you know, in conference games. Uh, who do I leave out? Uh, uh, Will, Florida's got to find a Will guy Wade. Now. <laughs> I knew Will Wade and. You know, I, w- I was looking uh, through my desk this morning and I found a business card from Will Wade when he was an assistant at Harvard. And, you know, he was a go-getter back then. Uh, I don't know. He'd heard that, that I'd had some input in a couple coaching searches here and there. And he wanted to get to know me. And, and he did get to know me. And, and uh, I really thought that he he didn't need to do anything to bend the rules. I thought he was a good enough coach. He worked hard, never slept, was well connected. I don't think he had to make any strong ass offers. Uh, and it's a shame he did because, you know, he's, he's ruined his college basketball career. Yeah. It's hard to imagine him ever coaching anywhere again, uh, at least not in college. No, I, I think if, if he's lucky, he'll maybe slip into the NBA somehow, but uh, it's a shame because as I said, he he didn't need any of that tomfoolery. He he could have done it on his own. Chris, our guest this week is a guy we know well. We've had on our podcast before, and he is excellent—a blue ribbon contributor. You can find him at Discourse D One S C O U R S E, and writes for the Washington Post. He is Patrick Stevens. Patrick, what's going on, gentlemen? How are you doing this evening? We're great. Uh, we're well. Just trying to figure stuff out, man. Uh, you're a bracketologist. Uh, the big, the big deal in our neck of the woods is Tennessee uh, not getting a two seed. I, I kind of see why 
if, if the committee has everything set up and they don't want a Sunday tournament game messing things up, but can you take us through that a little bit? And do, do Sunday tournament games even matter? They, they don't matter a whole lot historically. I mean, obviously Richmond squeezing somebody out of the field matters, right? Like Richmond yeah. effectively took Dayton out of the field yep. this yep. this year. Um, and I'm not surprised that it kind of worked out that there was an A-10 team there as that last team. I thought it might have been VCU, actually. But Dayton uh, was the team that was squeezed out. But basically when the committee meets initially in the week, like Wednesday or Tuesday or something like that, they basically vote a bunch of teams into the field, and then they, you know, basically starting with something non-controversial like Gonzaga, well, not Gonzaga this year because they won, but uh, let's say at that point, Baylor. Baylor belongs in the field. Everybody agrees. Baylor's in the field. And then they start comparing resumes, and they really lock in those top two, three, four lines pretty early. Now, we can sit here and argue that that is an approach that belongs, you know, sometime from where, like, eight tracks were popular or something like that. Okay. (laughs) Like there are, there are these things called computers that allow you to look at data in real time and assess things, but that's the way that they do. So ultimately, uh, you know, I think that that is why you saw Duke not move after it really didn't play all that great up in the ACC tournament, why you didn't see Tennessee move. I will say this, as people make a big deal out of that, and I I agree that Tennessee should be on the two-line. I think you could make the case that because of Baylor's injuries, that Tennessee could be on the one-line. But realistically, I think that they are probably the second or third two-seed. If you move a two to a three or a three to a two, that doesn't create nearly the same bracket mischief as when you move like a five to a seven. And I'm thinking about 2014 Connecticut here where a team was clearly underseeded, and now they're a seven. Now they can screw up things for the two seed, which in that (laughs) case was Villanova, and now all sorts of things could happen. You know, you're basically having a 2-5 game in the second round. Same sort of thing happens in a 6-8. You remember, um, what was it? Was it Kentucky and Wichita State in that that early game a couple years back? That's the same kind of thing. So when I see, when I think about, bracketing mess-ups by the committee, those are the ones that have far more reaching, far-reaching potential than a two and a three. I mean, yes, Tennessee probably has marginally tougher games in the first two rounds of the tournament. But that's a Tennessee team playing pretty well, and I suspect that it's not going to matter. And then, once you get past that, okay, so you're probably playing a marginally more difficult Sweet 16 game, but not that much more difficult. I mean, we're sitting here comparing it. We could be talking about a Wisconsin or a Purdue or, you know, whatever. Like, we're, we're talking about good teams. By the time you get to the second weekend, you got to play well to advance no matter who you are. Patrick, that kind of leads to it's just to a premise that I've noticed over the last few years, maybe, maybe 15 to 20 years, that those second round games to me are way harder than they used to be. Like you think back maybe in the nineties or so, if you got a one or two seed, you're almost guaranteed to make it to the second weekend. Now it's like all bets are off and you're going to play a tough second round game, no matter who you are. Well, not just that. I mean, because of tournament expansion, right? You now have two extra teams for a decade now on the 16 line, which means two of the current six teams would have been 15s before. And two of the current 15s would have been 14s before. Uh And so I think if you're a four seed and even a three seed, 
your first round game is so much harder than it used to be. Uh, you know, I, I kind of look at, at like a, a South Dakota State as a 13 seed. I mean, that is a nasty, nasty piece of work for Providence. I think yeah. about Colgate as a 14 seed against a Wisconsin team that has a history of playing a lot of close games. That has uh, that has trouble written all over it. Uh, and by the way, South Dakota State first in the country in three-point shooting, Colgate number two. So yeah. there's something else to think about as you head into into those sorts of games. But yeah, once you get to the second round, like everybody's bowling. I mean, think about think about some of the teams that are on the eight nine lines right now. Like Memphis, a team that's been playing really well for almost two months. You've got a North Carolina team that, aside from that egg against Virginia Tech, have been playing well here of late. You've got a Boise State team that's a double champion in the Mountain West and bizarrely seated two lines below Colorado State. Uh, you've got a Creighton team that's been playing really well, uh, and then you've got. You've got Jamie Dixon's TCU team, which is a classic. If you if you watch those pit teams, like, and I saw TCU in person because they came through the D.C. area to play Georgetown. They were the first of Georgetown's consecutive losses this season. <laughs> the, first, the first of the 21 consecutive losses. And I thought I was watching one of those old school pit teams. Maybe not, maybe not necessarily as good as a Dewan Blair team, but one of those that you just you just knew they were going to be rugged and tough and. They were going to play a tight offense and all this stuff. That's a team that could be a roadblock for something. Patrick, I I really like Iowa for some reason. I'm just feeling Iowa. What do you think, uh, especially after they plowed through the Big Ten tournament? Well, let me tell you something. I, I saw just about everybody in the Big Ten come through town this year, and there's nobody other than Iowa that I trust to be able to make a multi-round run. That doesn't mean that that nobody else will. Like, I think Wisconsin will be in any game that it plays. But Iowa was a team that when I saw them a month or so ago, they hit the 100 mark with six minutes to play against Maryland. Wow. Uh, and so that's the sort of thing that will convince you that, that hey, these guys are pretty good. And, and they've had a habit of doing that about once every, you know, two or three weeks this season. Oh, look, Iowa put up another 100. Uh, they had that against Northwestern in the, in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. Like they've got, they will go out on the floor just like last year. They'll have one of the best players on the floor in just about any game they play. Maybe the probably the best player on the floor with Keegan. They've got a sixth-year senior who, who, as I joke, probably remembers playing in tournaments where there were forty-eight teams at the field <laughs> rather than sixty-eight. Um, you know, in in, uh, in Jordan Bohannon, who, by the way, that's somebody that is somebody that watched Iowa come through College Park a lot. He has. Uh, in that building, something like a 65% rate from three-point range over five wow. or six visits or something like that. So him not banking in shots, I've seen that one before. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> so in any case, uh, I, I, it's weird to sit there and say, I trust Iowa, a team that hasn't been to the second weekend this century, more than anybody else in that league. But I probably do because you know they, can, they have shown that they can just simply score with people. And yeah, their defense isn't the greatest in the world. It, it really hasn't ever been under Fran McCaffrey, man, can they swing the ball around, man, can they shoot? They are really, really fun to watch. And I'll tell you what, with ha- with them in a sub-regional against Richmond, who's also a lot of fun to watch, and South Dakota State, who shoots the ball like we talked a little bit about a little bit earlier, those are going to be some fun games up in Buffalo. Our guest is Patrick Stevens. As long as we're on the Big Ten, how did Michigan stay out of Dayton? <laughs> uh I'll let you know when I find out. Uh, <laughs> I know that was you know, that was one of the questions you, know, maybe, you had maybe, in your column. 
you know, maybe, maybe, and I, I've sat here and, 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 and thought about this for quite a while. Maybe they just didn't want to make this, you know, the first four is to the Big Ten in 2022, what the final four was to the Big East in 1985. You know, <laughs> maybe that's what it was. He didn't want to have three Big Ten teams uh, in date. I'll say this. Their metrics, Michigan's, were all very good. Um, and so when I was kind of looking at, were they going to get in? They were going to get in because strength of schedule was good. All the computer rankings were good. Yeah, they were 5-10 and ten in quad one games. Uh, I wasn't overly impressed, but at the same time, they did win some road games that were notable. And so I'm not surprised they got in, but at 17 and 14, in, 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 a, in a year where they really haven't gotten a lot of traction, I don't think they've won more than three consecutive games at any point this season. Uh, I, I don't think now is the time that they're going to start winning three games in a row, and I'm not sure I trust them to win more than one in a row at this well, you know, you could have had like three Big Ten teams and then put Memphis in there, so it would, be, it would have you been like have, 85. You, you, know? cer- yeah. you, certainly yeah. could, you certainly could have done that. Why not just play it at Rupp Arena and be done with it? <laughs> uh, Patrick, you, you've been doing this professionally, bracketology, for for 15 years, but and, and you, you had to do a bracket for the Washington Post, but have you filled out your personal bracket so far? And if so, who you got, man? Who's your final four? All right, I'm going to tell you something. I have not actually entered a bracket pool in 20 years since I was wow. And part of my reasoning for that was was it was one less thing to worry about during the three <laughs> busiest weeks of the year. Yeah. Just one one more, you know, that's sort of garbage in, garbage out. I think I filled one or two out because bosses made me over the years. And I think one year I just intentionally made it a completely chalk bracket, do it as quickly as possible and be done with it. Um, so usually I answer those questions on the fly as I'm doing radio interviews. So let me think back to what I said earlier in the day, because I've done about seven or eight of them <laughs> over the course of the day. All right. So I think I took Gonzaga in the West. Uh, pretty sure I took Kentucky out of the East, uh, Kansas in the Midwest, and then Tennessee out of the South. So two wow. ones, a two, and a three. Wow. Wow, I like that. I do. I, I like that. Patrick, we appreciate the time, as always. Uh, really enjoy your work. I enjoyed your, your column about the NCAA tournament's biggest snubs and surprises, and hope we can catch up with you again down the road. Great work, and uh, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for having me, fellows, and enjoy the tournament. Thanks, buddy. Well, that was Patrick Stevens. He is a Blue Ribbon contributor. He uh, writes for the Washington Post. Really good column, and you can find him on Twitter at Discourse, D-1-S-C-O-U-R-S-E. Really knows his stuff uh, about the NCAA tournament. A lot of fun last week to be in Tampa for the SEC tournament. Uh, I went last year when it was in Nashville and worked a couple games with Vanderbilt, but we sat uh, way up in the hockey press box. It really didn't feel like we were even there hardly. But it was more of the normal SEC tournament this year. Used to it being in Nashville, but Tampa, i, I got to give them credit. They were they were really good hosts. It's a, it's a really nice arena there, the uh, Amelie Arena, where the Tampa Bay Lightning play. Uh, we played the SEC tournament under the uh, shadow of the Tampa Bay Lightning's three Stanley Cup banners, uh, which, which two of which they have hung in just the last two seasons. But great atmosphere inside and out. Uh, it was the usual uh, fest of blue and white, uh, especially when Kentucky was playing. But it, it was just fun to be there and to be a part of it. I, I love the SEC tournament. It's one of my absolute favorite things. I've watched it on TV for, for many years including years when I went to the old Georgia Dome and sat way up in the second or third deck, and I would always look down there in press row and think, man, someday I'd like to sit down there and call some games. And I, <laughs> and I finally got to do that this week, uh, sitting on the front row at the SEC tournament. 
it was really, really special. And uh, Vanderbilt played well, got to got to see three games. Uh, Vanderbilt blew out Georgia and then had the big comeback win against Alabama and really played well against Kentucky and battled Kentucky all the way to the end. So uh, really proud of the Commodores and how they played. And we'll, we'll play in the NIT tomorrow night against Belmont of all teams. Uh, but it, it was just it was really neat to be at the SEC tournament and have that experience down in Tampa over the last few days. I'll tell you what, I, some of my fondest memories in my career have come at the SEC tournament and, you know, great games, great controversies. I remember the time Dale Brown bolted out onto the floor to, as he put it, defend Shaq, mm-hmm. like Shaq needed any defense. <laughs> and I was the pool reporter that game, yeah. and I had to talk to the refs about that. I was in the Georgia Dome when the when the tornado struck. and. Uh-huh. Almost got hit by debris, and it was when uh, uh, what, was it Mikael Riley that, that saved the day with a three pointer? With a three pointer, if he hadn't made that shot and sent the game into overtime, thousands of fans would have spilled out that door right where the tornado struck. It was a Category Two tornado, which in a downtown area was really rare. Sure. So, yeah. but yeah, I just I love conference tournaments. I cut my teeth on the Southern Conference tournament. It just for three or four days, you see the same people and and you make uh, relationships that last a lifetime and you have great meals and see good basketball and go to the hospitality rooms and cut up with more buddies. And there's just nothing like it. I I would sure hate looking back if if I'd have had to work for a living, that would have been a real drag. (laughs) No question about it. (laughs) (laughs) I thought of that lots of times. But yeah, it was it was fun to be at the SEC tournament. It's almost like a little family reunion because you do see a lot of the same people that you've yeah. seen at those things for years. And I I will say another thing: they had some really good peach cobbler and vanilla ice cream. That that may have been one of the highlights. Oh boy, uh, you're talking time, my language. The time now. I was there. All right, as we wrap things up, our long-awaited Final Four picks, Chris. Uh, I will give you the honor of going first. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I have agonized over this. I really have. Uh, but I, I've thought, uh, I've thought for the last couple of weeks, Arizona w- was the best team in the country. So, uh, in the South, I've got Arizona uh, beating Tennessee in the Elite Eight. Now, I could see Tennessee if Kirk Creasa, the the point guard for Arizona, doesn't come back from his ankle injury or were to re-injure it. Tennessee might have a chance. Uh, in the Midwest, I'm going. Uh, uh, with my boyfriend McCaffrey, uh, I think Iowa's going to get there. Uh, I think they'll take out another Big Ten team to do it. Wisconsin. In the, in the West, I've got Gonzaga, uh, and in the East, I think Purdue will beat UCLA in the Elite Eight. And uh, Gonzaga over Purdue, Arizona over Iowa, and then in the ultimate <laughs> bummer. Uh, Mark Few's 20-year assistant, Tommy Lloyd, in his first year as a head coach (laughs) of the Arizona Wildcats, is going to deny Mark Few uh, his third consecutive attempt at the national championship. Sorry, Mark. I love your program. Oh, man. But uh, you you, you done taught Tommy too good, man. (laughs) (laughs) Mark, if you're listening, we hope you will come on our podcast uh, someday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, my, my picks are somewhat similar. Uh, I've got Gonzaga out of the West. Uh, I think I, I'm going to pick Kentucky in the East. I, I agonized over that one a little bit. I don't think Baylor uh, has enough to get there. I, I think UCLA on that side of the bracket, I sort of like them, and I, I like Purdue to, to get uh, pretty deep in this thing, but I'm going to pick Kentucky in that one. 
Uh, over in the south, uh, I've got Arizona. It's, it's hard to pick against them. They're playing so well. I, I think Tennessee will make a nice run. I think Villanova will as well. And then over in the Midwest, boy, I, I may regret this pick. And I didn't want to go too much chalk. I don't think Kansas is going to get there. I like I, don't I, I like Iowa. They're good. Auburn is so much better at home than they are on the road, and you can't play the tournament at Auburn Arena. So I'm going to go with Wisconsin. Um, they, they, I've, I've Not watched, bad. I watched various amounts of Big Ten basketball. I'm going to pick Wisconsin out of the Midwest. I, I too, would pick a Gonzaga-Arizona championship game, but – uh, based on what I wrote for for Blue Ribbon in the compilation of columns about who you think is oh, going to yes. win the championship, I'm going to stick with Gonzaga. So I will pick Gonzaga to beat Arizona in the championship game. Well, I think that's all sound. I, I, I that's the the cool part about it. Now we can just sit back and watch and <laughs> see how wrong and, we are. <laughs> uh, see how wrong we are. I was going to say scratch off our losses. And uh, my only regret this this year is my. Uh, Sports running class at UTC, they're on spring break this week. Oh, yeah. And usually on Thursday, on the first round, we have what I call Professor D's uh, great bracket party. And everybody brings food. We got wings and pizza and homemade brownies and stuff. Uh, the last year we had it, some guy rode a electric scooter <laughs> into the classroom. Kids were taking pictures and texting and Instagramming. My, can you believe my professor lets me do this? And uh, other uh, professors uh, in the, down the hallway were sending students over to tell us to shut up. Uh, I just so hate that we couldn't do that because <laughs> we have a big classroom uh, in, in the new building where I teach. Yeah, We could have had a heck of a party. <laughs> you know, when, when you grow up in Kentucky and these first few days of the tournament roll around, Teachers would roll out TVs, and we just basically watch the tournament uh, once it got started. Or if you like, if you got your work done, you could kind of go around the corner into, into one of the offices and check out some of the games. And you know, the teachers were into it too. So I mean, they'd have their, oh. they'd have their brackets and stuff. And you, you mentioned students being on spring break, and it reminds me of my favorite ever spring break trip. I, I wasn't a guy who went down to Florida and partied or anything like that for spring break. I usually just stayed home and worked. But my, my senior year at Western. The Hilltoppers had a really good team in 1993. And so they went to the NCAA tournament in Orlando. And me and two of my best friends, we hopped in the car and we drove all night to Orlando. And we saw Western Kentucky in the first round in an 8-9 matchup, knock out Penny Hardaway in Memphis State. In the second round matchup, the the eight-seeded Hilltoppers, actually I think it was a 7-10 matchup, come to think of it. I think Western was a 7 and Memphis was a 10. And then in the second round, Western played Seton Hall, uh, with Terry DeHair and, and Danny Hurley and knocked out those guys too to go to the Sweet 16. So it it, it was I've been to the, the tournament lots of times and these first these first couple of days especially are so fun. But uh, that that was such a cool memory to go and every time I see something about that team, I think about us going to those games down at the old uh, arena in Orlando and how fun that was. I'll never forget my one of my favorite NCAA memories was in 1989 back when they played it at just normal venues. Uh, it was at Vanderbilt, uh-huh. and my alma mater, East Tennessee State, was a 16-team seed. Oklahoma was a number one. Billy Tubbs was the coach, and everybody hated him, and they hated that team because they ran up the score, and he was unapologetic about it. <laughs> and East Tennessee State had them on the ropes, and supposedly, you know, the NCAA discourages cheering in the press box. I never saw so many fist bumps and high fives when ETSU was beating <laughs> that bunch. 
And I remember ETSU had this little point guard named Mr. Jennings. Mr. Uh, Jennings. 570. Mm-hmm. He actually was so good he played in the NBA for a while. He fouled out on a questionable fifth foul, and, and ETSU lost. That same day, uh, Princeton had number one seed Georgetown on the ropes. Mm-hmm. So we could have seen history, two 16 seeds uh, beating number ones in the same day. But I'll never forget that, looking down press row and seeing guys just going – fist bumping and, 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 you know, high fiving. It was so great. Uh, I'll, like I said, God, if I'd have had to work for a living, I, I don't know what I'd have done, man. And, and who knew that it would, it would take 29 years before that actually happened in 2018 when, when Maryland Baltimore County beat Virginia, that the only, yeah. the only number 16 that's ever won. Uh, that, that's amazing. That That's a, such a cool story. Uh, I actually went up to the crow's nest at Memorial gym today uh, I was just walking around and, and went up there for a minute. But what a great spot! It, it is. Uh, I was going to no t- elevator though. There is definitely no elevator, <laughs> and if you're taking radio <laughs> gear up there, there there's it, it doesn't it's not a, an easy journey up there to take your stuff. <laughs> but uh, it'll be fun. Looking forward to it, Chris. Always a lot of fun. Thanks again, and uh, thanks for getting great guests every week. And we'll do it again next time. Enjoy that NIT, man. I wish I could come. I, I would in a heartbeat if if I had more time to prepare. It'll be a neighboring matchup of uh, Vanderbilt and Belmont, so looking forward to that, too. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We will talk to you next time.